I go in a lot of Carey's colleges, and you know the strength of a Carey's college. It's about grace, right? The message of grace. And, uh, and, but I go in a lot of, I don't know if you ever heard, Rayma Bible Training Center, Rayma Kenneth Hagin, which the mandate of Kenneth Hagin was faith. So you go in a lot of, I go in a lot of Rayma training centers where the emphasis is, is faith. And then one day, the, as I was preparing to go in, 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 in one of those colleges, this is what the Holy Spirit kind of put on my heart. This is what the impression I had on my heart. And this is what I heard. Because I was like, Lord, what do I minister there? And I heard the Holy Spirit says, give them some vitamin G. And I'm like, vitamin G. You know, how many of you take vitamins? Or you know you're deficient in some vitamin. Maybe you're deficient in B. Or maybe you're deficient in D. Or maybe you're deficient in, you know what I'm talking about. Well, what the Holy Ghost was showing me is that when I go in some Ramai Bible Training Center or faith colleges, they often, they hear faith in the morning, faith at noon, faith in the nighttime. And very often they are deficient in vitamin G, vitamin grace. But then... I also found out when I go in a lot of Caris colleges, you know, you hear grace. I mean, and I'm so thankful about the grace because I, you know, I had a lot of vitamin F. You know, I graduated from Ramah Bible Training Center. I was under Brother Hagen while he was still alive. And so it was vitamin F, 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 because that was the mandate upon his ministry. But, you know, he took a few years later to get a revelation and to get a dose of vitamin G. You know what I'm talking about. When I met Andrew, then I, I, I was deficient in vitamin G. Amen. And so this is what the Holy Ghost was kind of putting upon my heart. He says, in some places you're going to go, there might be a little deficient in vitamin F. All the places that might be deficient a little bit in vitamin G. Amen. So this morning, I've had it on my heart maybe to give you a dose of vitamin F. Would that be okay? Amen. Because I know when it comes to grace, you hear it. You've got the message. That's why you are in Carrie's Bible School. It's because you got a hold of the message on grace. Amen. And, and, and what I've, I've, I've realized and I found out is very often... In, in people that have a revelation on grace, that we come to a place we are so afraid to get into works that we, it's easy to become very passive. Because after all, God has done it all by grace. And it's very easy all of a sudden to get in a passive mode. But you see, on the other side of somebody who has a revelation on the faith of God, the faith that pleases God, it's very easy. And I was part of that where it's easy to get into works. My faith is going to move God. You know what I mean? And it's very easy to get into works thinking that it's my faith that's going to do it. You know, and you, you, end, and you end up all of a sudden getting into works. And so this morning, and, and Andrew has an awesome teaching, which is called Balance Between Grace and Faith. How many of you have, have listened or read that book or listened to the CDs, you know? There needs to be a balance, isn't it? And so this morning, 
in order to bring a certain balance also, I'm going to give, because I know you're getting a lot of G, I'm going to try to bring a little bit of F, of vitamin F. Is that okay? Raise your hand if you're okay with that. And the truth is, even if you're not okay, I'm going to give you vitamin F anyway. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, Father God, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, first of all, that, you know, made a way for us to have fellowship, intimacy with the Father. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the guide, our coach, our trainer, our, our, our comforter, our counselor, our friend that is there to help us to understand the truth and walk in it. So we thank you this morning that as we teach the word, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may see, hear, perceive, and understand. I thank you, Father God, that you help me, Holy Ghost, to teach with all simplicity and all clarity that even a little child could understand. And so I, I thank you, Father God. I thank you for helping us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to remove my necklace because I think it's banging a little bit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we talked about grace, and we know that by grace, God has given us anything. I don't need to, you know, to preface that or explain because you guys know that by the grace of God, we've re the, the salvation of God came to us by grace. Amen. And it came to all men. Amen. And, and, and so um, we, we know that by the grace of God, God has already given us everything. But did you notice in the Bible, we also saw, in, we see in Ephesians 2.8, that the Bible says that it's by grace we are saved through faith. You see the balance there? By grace, salvation is given to us, but it's going to have to be through our faith that we're going to get a hold of it. Amen. And you notice that very often Jesus, so many times he would look at people and he would say, your faith in Mark chapter 5, you know the woman with the issue of blood, when she touched the garment of Jesus and she felt power come into her and Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And finally she revealed herself and he said, daughter, my power has made you whole. Is that what Jesus said? No. no, he said, your faith has made you whole. You see, the power of God was there available. It was the anointing was in Jesus, right? But it was her faith that drew that power that got a hold of it. Amen. Here are a couple more scriptures. Uh, um, in Matthew 9, 29, Jesus says, you know, Nothing is impossible with God, right? But he said, let it be done according to your faith. Amen. Jesus was saying, yeah, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible, but it can only be done according to what your faith or what you can believe. You see, grace makes everything available. But it is our faith that gets a hold of it. It's our faith that takes possession of what grace has laid out on the table. Amen. And so that means that we've got to understand faith a little more. Amen. 
You guys understand grace. You know, you've, you, you, you are studying grace and, and, and the and unconditional love of God. But then we understand that by grace, it's all there available. But I have to understand how my faith can get a hold of that which grace has provided. But yet, my faith without entering into works, without getting into... Amen. Because we, we know that the Bible says that those who believe enter into the rest. Amen. But yet, you see here, even that, with that verse uh, uh, in Hebrew chapter 4, those who believe who have faith enter into the rest. But most people have the concept that rest means I sit down and I don't do anything. You see, we, we, we equate rest with being passive. When we know that rest is not passive, because, and we'll find out a little later, you know that James says faith with that work, so corresponding action will be dead. So your faith cannot, even though your faith rests in the finished work of Christ, but yet that doesn't mean that your faith has to be passive. And we're going to discover that. Amen. What, and we're going to go directly into what Jesus himself is teaching us. Amen. Because that's, he's the, the, the head of the church. Correct? He is the master teacher. So we're going to study directly what Jesus taught us about faith. Because Jesus, everything he did it, he did it by faith. Amen. So are you with me this morning? If you need a cup of coffee, go ahead. Your time is now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I love that verse in Mark chapter 9. You've got your Bible, Bible students? Mm -hmm. Amen. Whether it's a phone, an iPad, or a Bible. In Mark chapter 9, I love that. Mark chapter 9, you remember when the father had a little boy who was epileptic and he brought him to the disciples, the nine disciples, because John Peter and James were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And so he brought the, the little boy to the disciple nine, but they could not heal the boy. They could not cast the demon. And you know, when Jesus came down the mountain and a crowd was there gathering, they ran to Jesus and the father ran and listened to what the father told Jesus. You know, he said, I brought my little boy to your disciple, but they could not cast the demon out of him. And he said, Jesus, come to our help. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. I mean, the father is telling Jesus, if you, you can do something, do it. Help us. And it's interesting how Jesus answered. You notice the father, in another word, was putting all the responsibility over onto Jesus, over onto God. And that's today where most people are. You know, when it comes to healing, when it comes to anything, God, you do it. Do something. You know, they plead, they beg, they try to motivate God, they try to persuade him, and they're expecting that God is going to do something. That's where the Father was. If you can do something, Jesus, now it's your time, you do it. And how did Jesus answer? He turned the table around because there is no doubt about it. Jesus could do anything. Amen. But he answered the father and he said, 
if you can believe. In another word, let me say it in every, in, in paraphrase it in today's language, today English. Well, if you can do something, do something, Jesus, right now, do it. You do it. And Jesus says, uh-uh, it's not a matter of whether or not I can do it because I can. The real question is, are you willing to have faith? Are you willing to believe? That's what Jesus was saying. In another word, Jesus was saying, hey, wait a second, we've got to share responsibility. Of course I can. I can do all things. But the question is, are you willing to believe in what I can do? Are you willing to have faith? That's what Jesus was telling the Father. Amen. And here we go again. That by grace. But it's by, are, are we willing to believe? Are we willing to have faith to access what God has already done? Amen. So we've got to understand that we have a shared responsibility. And that's what Andrew talks about. The balance between grace and faith. God has the responsibility and he assumed it and he fulfilled it by, by grace fulfilling and accomplishing everything. But now, in another word, he's saying now, are you willing to believe? Are you willing to have faith? Are you willing to exercise your faith to access what I can do and what I have done? Amen. And so, you know, listen to this. This is really good. The book of James even tells us to warn people, those who were not willing to have faith, those who were not willing to exercise their faith, listen to what James say. And that's a pretty strong statement. And today, in today's politically correct world, most people would go, oh, you cannot say that. You're going to offend somebody. But listen to what James says. In James chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, he says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. And do not let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord if he's a double-minded man unstable in all of his way. You know what James is, James is telling us? He says, if you see somebody that is not willing to walk in faith and that is not, you know, using faith, don't even let them think they will receive. Tell them you cannot receive. That's what James is saying. If you see somebody that is not, that is fluctuating, and here double-minded doesn't mean that you have doubt. We all, you know, the devil will attack our mind. But double-minded here means, you know, that in your heart you know that example healing, that healing is the will of God, but all of a sudden your heart fights against it. Not your head. You're, you start going and standing against the truth, saying, uh-uh, no, I don't think this is the will of God. Uh, you know, at the moment, that's what, you know, when in your heart you start going, uh-uh, no, this is not the will of God. I don't think healing is, is for, you know, you understand what I'm saying. When you're starting to take a stand against the truth, that is where you got a double, not Doubt in your head thinking, oh, I'm wondering if I'm receiving or what am I doing wrong? No, no. But it's taking an active position against the truth. That's when now he said, don't even let that person 
you know, if one day they believe, yes, it is the truth, the, say, the, the next day they, 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 they're not stable, they're not standing in the truth. They're going wishy-washy, yes, no, yes, no. He said, please do them a favor. Do them a favor. Because on the long run, it will help them instead of hurting them. Don't let them think that they can receive if, if that's their position. You understand? That's what James is saying. It's a pretty strong statement. If you see somebody that is not stable, knowing that they know that they know uh, the will of God in a certain, in a certain uh, category, or in a certain, in, let's say, healing, he says, do them a favor. Don't let them even think that they will receive. They, it's better for them to know that they will not receive and they adjust their position than them being double-minded and thinking and wishing and hoping that they will get it because on the long run, it will hurt their faith. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? And I see a lot of that in the body of Christ because people are afraid to offend and they'll see somebody that is wishy-washy who is not strong on their position on the will of God and, and, and they will go say, well, God's going to heal you. It's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. Because James says, don't let them believe that they will receive or that they're going to get it if they're not in that position of strength that they know that they know. Amen. Glory to God. And sometimes we've got, you know, I think it, 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 it hurts people more when we don't, we don't do that. Because people, what happened, they think, yes, maybe, and they're not so strong on their position of faith, and they, they all of a sudden hoping, and then it doesn't happen. And then they think, well, that faith stuff didn't work. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. So the Bible is very strong about, you know, by grace God has given everything, but it's through faith that we get a hold of it. And so we've got to discover what faith is and how to get that strong position of faith so we can know that we know that we can receive anything from the Lord. Amen. Here are some verses. In Hebrew 11.1, 1, with that faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because, you know, faith is what I call God's mode of operation. That's how God operates. That's how the kingdom of God operates. Everything that God does, it's done by faith, through faith. Amen. And so we are imitators of God. And so what we have to do, we have to do it by faith also. Amen. Romans 1.17 says the just shall live by faith. You know what that shows me? That the just, which is the righteous, you and I, we've got to learn to live by faith. That means that it's not something you do. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's something that we should breathe, talk, act, be. Amen. It's not something that we try to do once in a while to get a promise. It's something that needs to become second nature. To be children of God, we've got to start thinking, talking, acting as people of faith. That's got to be because we are believers. And what is a believer supposed to do? Believe. I mean, believing in faith is like those two words are interchangeable. Amen. 
You can say, I believe or I have faith, and it means the same. Amen. But here is what the, the verse I want to get to. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it, said, it tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. Because you see, the, the, the truth of the kingdom of God now as a believer is that now we are called to be led by the Spirit, no longer under the law, Hallelujah. Now we are walking led by the Spirit, but now we've got a, this new covenant is learning to walk by faith. Amen. And exercise authority, reign in the kingdom. These are the truth of now our kingdom. We are children of God, children of the kingdom, and that means we've got to learn to be led by the Spirit and learn to walk by faith. Amen. And so how do we learn to walk by faith? We've got first to find out what faith is. So this morning, we're going to go a little bit on the ABCs of faith. You know, I always remember uh, Lombardi, you know, when he was hired with a football team, you know, that was, a ha was having a losing streak. You know, they were losing. Lombardi took a football and said, Guy, what is this? This is a football. And they all looked at him like, well, of course, we know it's a football. We've been playing football for years. But what was it that Lombardi was, the point he was getting across? He said, guys, you're losing. Why? Because you've, you've forgotten the basics. You've forgotten the foundation. Here is a football. So we're going to go to the football this morning, get to the basics. Amen? Right. Or what faith is and how to walk by faith. What is faith? Hebrew 11.1. 1. Right? Hebrew 11.1 1 says, Faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence or the assurance of things not seen. Amen? Now let me give you the Audrey paraphrase. Or the, this is how I, I like to say it. Faith is being persuaded and convinced of something you cannot see, hear, Feel, perceive through the five senses, but you know that 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 it is true and real. That's faith. You see, that's why 2 Corinthians 5 says, it said, we've got to learn to walk by faith and not by our five senses. Why? Because faith is being totally convinced and persuaded of something you cannot see and feel. And you know that you know that you know that it's a reality. It is true. Amen. And we've got, for example, you know, uh, and I'm going to give you, we, we, because we know in Hebrew 11, there is a whole list of people who had faith, who walked by faith. Amen. And you can look at every one of them, whether they were being persecuted and sown in two and thrown to the lion, or whether they were fighting the enemies, or whether they were marching around a wall, or whether they all had faith because they chose to believe in what God said and told them to do instead of believing of what they could feel, see, and sense. I mean, think about those who were being persecuted and they were being martyred. What was, what was their faith? Their faith is they were persuaded of the kingdom of God, of the eternal place, the place that God had prepared for them, instead of believing and being moved by what they felt, by what they heard, by what they saw. 
that was strong faith. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, but I'm going to cut it short because we don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to talk about two people. Well, I'm going to talk, number one, about Abraham. And because I want us to go to Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, we see Abraham. He was called the father of faith. That shows us that Abraham had faith. So let's go in, in Romans chapter 4, in verse 19 through 21. Hallelujah. Verse 19 through 24. It says here that Abraham, not being weak in faith. I want you to highlight, underline, or make a mental note of the word not weak in faith. He says, Abraham being not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was 100 years old, and he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith. I want you to make a mental note, strong in faith. Being, giving glory to God, and being, here is that word, fully convinced or fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. We find here that Abraham was strong in faith instead of being weak in faith. And we're going to talk about that later, but I want you to notice that. And why was he strong in faith? Because instead of concentrating he did not ignore it, but he did not focus on it. He did not concentrate, can, con concentrate on, his, on what he could see in his own body, what he could feel in his own body, and he did not concentrate on Sarah, on, 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 on her body, on her, on her condition. I mean, she was sterile. She could not have babies when she was 15 years old. Now she is past the age. You know what, ladies, what that means. I'm going through it right now, past the age. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. Where you cannot anymore. Amen? And so he says, he did not concentrate, focus, put his attention. It doesn't mean he didn't ignore it. No, no. It means he refused to keep his attention on it, to think about it, meditate upon it, look upon it, talk about it. He refused. That's what considering means. He refused to consider it, to give it time, to give it his attention, not only his body, but the body of Sarah. Amen. And he says because of that, he was strong in faith, and he was not weak in faith. But then we have somebody else. You notice Abraham, in another word, chose to believe in what God says instead of believing and trusting and focusing and concentrating on what his body or his five senses were telling him. That was the battle. The battle between what God said and what the five senses were saying. What the, you know, uh, and so that was the battle. But here look at somebody else. If you go to John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, we have a man, you know who I'm talking about, Thomas. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead, he went and appeared in the midst of the disciples. They were there, 10 disciples. Of course, Judah 
was no longer. But then Thomas wasn't there. So he was the other 10. And Jesus was in their midst, and they all got excited and rejoiced. And he says that a few days later, you know, the disciple talked to Thomas and said, Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And what did Thomas say? Unless I can see the nails, you know, the hole in his hand and feel it. Unless I can see the hole in his side and put my hand and feel it, I will not believe. What was Thomas saying? Thomas saying, I'm only willing to trust and believe what my five senses are telling me. And so you remember what happened a few days later. Thomas is in the upper room with the other, the other ten disciples. And now Jesus here comes again. And I would have loved to be there and see it. Because now Jesus didn't do it in condemnation, but he used it as a teaching lesson, teaching Thomas a great lesson. He looked at Thomas and he said, son, come here. I mean, you can see Thomas walking. And he said, Thomas, come here. Okay, look at my hands. Go put your fingers, go ahead, and look at my holes. Come on, Thomas, put your hand, feel it. And then what did Thomas say? Oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, because now you can feel and you can see, you believe. And then he said, blessed are those who do not see yet believe. And you know the blessed? You could be, in another word, fill in the blank. What is it that you're believing for? Healing? Well, you could say healed are those who do not feel, who do not see, and yet they still believe. Oh, prosperous are those who don't see their bank account filled, don't see, you know, uh, uh, they don't see prosperity, they don't see, and, but yet they still believe. You know, and you can fill in the, that's what Jesus is saying. In another word, Jesus is asking us to believe in something that we cannot see or feel. Jesus is asking us as the head of the church, he says, you will be healed, you will be blessed, you will be fill in the blank if you are willing to believe in something that your senses, that you cannot know and perceive and see and feel through your five senses. Amen. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Amen. But how can you do that? Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you believe that God is real? Raise your hand. You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe God is real. Now, how many of you this morning, you woke up and surprise, surprise, like Gomer Pyle, You saw Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Ghost sitting right there at the end of your bed, looking at you, shaking your hand, said, I want to shake you, or giving you a hug, or you heard an audible voice, or you smelled the perfume of God, or you had a physical encounter with the Lord this morning, with the Father, and anybody? You saw, you felt, you touched, you smelled. No, none of us. But yet... You believe, you are persuaded, you are convinced, you know that you know that God is real. Well, congratulations, you have faith. At its simplest, that's what faith is. 
when, when you believe God is real, even though none of your senses will ever confirm it, and you still believe, you still are convinced, you're even willing to die for it, that's faith. You see, you, are, you have faith. I mean, here is another example. How many of you believe that Jesus died on the cross? He was buried, but he rose on the third day. If you believe, raise your hand. How many of you were there at the cross? How many of you were with Mary Magdalene at the entrance of the tomb and you saw the reason? The reason? None of us. You don't look that old. But yet we believe. We believe in a truth that we have absolutely no physical confirmation and proof about. That's faith. You see? But that would be so totally ridiculous. That's why the world is fighting. Because in the natural, that sounds totally absurd. Absurd to believe in somebody or in something that your senses will deny. But not if you understand that one truth, that we live in two different worlds. If you understand that we are part, you and I, we are part of a double kingdom or a double world realm, then it makes total sense. If you go with me to Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, It says that God is talking about God or Jesus Christ who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Things visible and invisible, whether throne, dominion, principality, powers, all things were created through him and for him. What is the word revealing to us? That God created a two realms. And there is the realm of God, which is called heaven or the spirit realm. And we discover that that realm, heaven or the spirit realm, is invisible. And that's the realm where God lives because God is Invisible. He said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Why is he invisible? Because God is a spirit and God lives in the spirit realm. But there is also a second realm which is the physical realm in which you and I live. Amen. And in this realm, we need the five senses. I mean, if you're going to cross the street, you better be able to see, hear, feel your way around or you're in trouble. Amen. Because, you see, you walk by faith or because you're a Christian doesn't mean that we no longer need the five senses. We need them to live in this realm, the physical realm, which is visible, which in this we need the five senses. But once you understand that there is a dual kingdom, a parallel kingdom that is more real than the physical realm, it's the spirit realm. It is the invisible kingdom. It is where God lives. And once you understand, then, then it makes sense that God would ask you to believe in a kingdom, in a realm, in a God, in things that are not visible, but yet 
very, very real. And you see, all the blessings, we've talked about grace, how God has provided everything for us. By grace, salvation. By grace, healing. By grace, everything we need to live this life in victory and in godliness. Amen. All of that, by grace, has already been given. But where has it been given? In the spirit realm. Go, if you look in Ephesians 1, 3. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Did you notice? Spiritual blessings. What does this reveal? If it's spiritual, equal, it's invisible. You see, because what is spirit is invisible. God is a spirit. God is invisible. Spiritual blessing reveals to us these are blessings, but they're yet still in the spirit realm, which is invisible. And so he says, God has, past tense, blessed us with all. How many? All. all spiritual, invisible blessings where? In Christ Jesus, in heavenly places, or you would say in the spirit realm, in Christ Jesus. You see, all those blessings that grace has given to us, they are as real as God is real. They are as present as God is there present. But they are in the spirit realm, which makes them automatically invisible. And that's why we need faith. Amen. In Ephesians, all those blessings as, as are part of what we call our inheritance. We saw Ephesians 1, 3 says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And in verse 11, he says, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. That's the inheritance. Or in other words, let me say it this way. You know, what if you've got um, a grandmother who is super mega rich? And she dies, and you are the only, you know, heir. And so on her will, she made you the total heir of her, her riches or her fortune. That makes you an heir. All of a sudden, you receive that fortune. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to put it under the mattress? No, you're going to put it or deposit it in a bank account written under your name. Yes or no? So... But that, you see, you have not that inheritance. And in the same way, if you allow me to say this way, when Christ went on the cross, he died, defeated hell and the grave, and he rose again from the dead, he obtained victory, and he re received that inheritance. And what did he do with it? He deposited it, if you allow me to say this way, in an invisible spiritual bank account reserved in heaven for you. That's why the Bible said, look at it with me. In 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and in verse 4, he says, I will add, he has begotten us to 
an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Or you would say reserved in that spiritual, invisible bank account for you. Amen? And so, now you've got that inheritance bought by the grace of God, given to you by the grace of God. Amen? And so, now the question what people sometimes ask me, well, Audrey, if I got that inheritance given to me, reserved in the heaven, in the spirit realm, in that spiritual bank account for me, how do I know if it's invisible? How do I know what's been there, what's been deposited? How do I know what's there for me to access? How do I know what's part of that inheritance? Good question, isn't it? Because after all that inheritance, it's real. That inheritance is real, but it's invisible. And so listen to what Paul tells us, how we can discover what has been deposited in that inheritance and so that we can access it and receive it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. I see you turn the page. Oh. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look, notice the word look, while we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary or temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you notice there is a difference between look and see? Here it says there are things we can see and things we cannot see. But here Paul is telling us to look at what is not seen. And the word see and look is two different things. When you talk about looking, you remember Abraham did not consider? You could say Abraham did not look. He did not purpose. He did not concentrate. So this is what Paul says. He says, while, you could say, while you do not consider, while you do not look, while you do not concentrate on the things which are seen, but you've got to look, concentrate. You've got to consider what is not seen. And you're like, Audrey, you're not helping me here. How can you look, consider Concentrate, focus on what is not seen. Well, question, what is this? It's not a trick question. It's a Bible, right? But you know really what that is? It is a spiritual window. It is a spiritual window. Because remember, we are in two different worlds. The physical world and the spiritual world, which is not seen, which is invisible. And this Bible, it's actually a window that allows you to open into the spirit world to see, to look, to concentrate, to focus, to consider on what is not seen. It is a spiritual window that allows you to see what is in the spirit. 
Why? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, my words, John 6, 63, my words, they are spirit. So God's word that are spirit are allowing you, are uh, helping you to see into the spirit. So amen. But he let me say something. I'm going to add something, you see, because I know, you know a lot of people that know the Bible by heart, but yet they don't see. You see, they don't see. Why? Because we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, you can open the Bible all you want without really seeing into the Spirit. But it takes the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to enlighten you, to help you, to ease the one opening the window so you can see. You understand what I go, go, Go with me if you don't mind, too, even if you do mind. Just joking. In, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 9 through 12, as it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered the heart of men the things which God has prepared or has deposited, amen, for those who love him. But, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yet the deep things of God. In another word, did you, did you ever remember? And I, I remember when, you know, when I got saved and I would open my Bible. And I remember the first time I read Mark eleven twenty three, when Jesus says, whoever speaks to the mountain, command it to be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that whatever will be done, he will have whatever... He says, I remember reading that verse and thinking, why? And, and, and where I came from in France, we had a mountain. It was called the Mount Victory. And I remember thinking, why would I want to talk to Mount Victory and command it to be removed? Yeah. I could not, to, to the life of me, wrap it around my brain. But then I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I remember right after I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I remember I was in a plane on my way to England, and I opened the Bible, open on Mark 11, and all of a sudden, I could see it. Amen? And so that's what really God is talking about. Paul is saying to look, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you open your Bible, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to see those things which are not seen to the naked eye. You'll be able to discover, to know with uh, your spiritual eyes and hear with your spiritual ears, understand in your heart what is in the spirit for you. Those spiritual truth, that spiritual inheritance, what it is that is in that spirit realm, you'll be able to see it, to know it, to understand it, to access it by faith. With the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why this new covenant is so beautiful. Because we have to be wholly, completely, totally dependent upon the Holy Ghost. Amen. You see, we have got to learn. You see, under the old covenant, it was all about what we did, trying to observe the law. But now, it's a total dependence upon the Holy Ghost. And to discover and walk with Him and, 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 and listen to Him to find out little by little what belongs to me. Amen. And so that's the first thing we've got to, to, to do and know is that 
with the help of the Holy Ghost, we open the word and we look at those things, those spiritual that inheritance, those spiritual truths. We look, and when we see look, you know the word look is not a quick gaze, like you look at your watch. It's a, like Abraham, considering, concentrating, focusing, meditating, putting your energy, your focus, your attention, your time on those spiritual truths. And when you do that, you'll be able to see and know what is in the spirit realm and become totally convinced, totally persuaded, like Abraham, who was strong in faith, being fully convinced. You see, faith, what is faith? Is being convinced, persuaded. You know that, you know that, you know that, you know something you cannot see and perceive. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, next question. We're going, moving right along. How much faith do I need to get a hold of the, of the inheritance. How much faith do I need to get a hold of it? You know, how much faith do I need? Because you and I know, we, we read, Jesus himself looked at a disciple like Peter, who walked on water, right? Peter says, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come. Well, what is Jesus going to answer? It's not me. Well, Jesus said, well, it's me, come. And Peter stepped out on, and he walked on water. But then what happened? He started to sink. And what did Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Amen. But then we find that in another passage. Example, I mean the centurion, you know, that, that had a servant who was sick. And Jesus is on his way to heal the servant. And, and, and the centurion says, don't even come to my house. I'm not even worthy for you to, to come to my house. Only speak the word, for I am a man under authority. I tell someone, go, he goes, come, he comes, do this, he does. He said, only speak the word. And Jesus was amazed. I mean, that didn't happen a whole lot. He was amazed and he says, oh, you, I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. And he was not even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And, but here we have a notion that all of a sudden the church is looked at it and said, you know, there are different, you know, quantity of faith. There are little faith and great faith. And the devil will always jump on that quickly to tell you, you've got little faith. Julia, you've got little faith. Well, you've got little faith. He will always go on that negative to tell you and convince you your faith is not good enough. It's not big enough. So let's find out how much faith do we need. How much faith? Do we need great faith? Do we need lots of faith to move the mountain? Well, let's look at it a second. Matthew 17, 20. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a mustard seed or a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Now, I want you, you to notice something. Jesus, there are two things here. Number one, Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Number one, how big is a mustard seed? It's tiny. It's very, but there is something else that I will talk about later. Jesus says, like a mustard seed. 
And, and it's interesting because when we look, uh, we found out the mustard seed is very little. And Jesus said, if you've got faith, even as little as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible. You'll speak to the mountain. So here Jesus is telling us even a small quantity of faith is sufficient to move a mountain. Amen. And so, you know, it kind of triggered something in me. Because I started to look at it and think, wait a second. I started to look, little faith, great faith. And you know, as I travel, I remember one time, and that's what caused it all. Because I, I don't know if I was in Vietnam or in Burma, but sometimes I have to deal with a lot of different translation. And I remember, I believe it was in Burma, my translator said something interesting to me. When he talks in the, Bur in the Burmese translation, instead of saying little faith, it said, Weak faith. Oh, you of weak faith. And so it caused me to start digging a little bit and find out, wait a second, what is that talking about? And I discovered something interesting. Little faith, it's the compound word Greek. I'm not an expert in Greek, but I can look in my concordance. And I found that little faith is the compound word oligopistos. And you recognize pistis, so pistos being the word for faith. And the word oligopistos. And I started to look at the word, and oligo actually means small in quantity and quality or weak. And it also means short-lived short-lived. And here when you look at the word great faith, it was the compound word tosutos pistis, tosutos pistis, and it made also strong of great quantity and quality and a faith that is long-lived. Or another word, a faith that starts and keep going, going, that does not give up. And do you remember what we saw in Romans chapter 4? That I told you, I say, make a mental note of it. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, it says that Abraham was not weak in faith, but he was strong in faith. Because how long did it take him? Years and years and years from the time that God spoke until the time he had the manifestation. He refused to give up. He, had, he was strong in faith and not weak in faith. And so I realized that faith, it's not about the quantity of faith that Jesus was really talking about, but about the quality of your faith. And you know something I discovered? Here, little faith is weak faith. It's a faith that starts and abandons halfway. Peter, I mean, how many of you have walked on the water? Peter had faith. But what happened? He started strong. I mean, he must have to walk on water. He had faith. But what happened halfway? His faith gave up. And that's what qualified his faith as little faith or weak faith or a faith that is short-lived. Amen. And so we find out here that the mustard seed, you remember I said 
Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed. I was one time in Quebec. I was in a TV studio recording some programs. And one of the lady behind the camera, and I was teaching a course on faith. One of the lady came to me and she said, Audrey, this is so interesting. She said, you know what? She said, because one year, she said, I have a garden. I planted all kind of stuff. But she said, for one reason or the other, I was gone for a certain period of time. And I was not able to attend to all my seeds and everything. And she said, you know when I came back? All the seeds had died except the mustard seed. It produced. It had not been watered. It had thorns around, all kind of stuff. But that mustard seed is the only seed that grew and produced some something. And so what is it that Jesus is saying? If you are faith as a mustard seed, what is a mustard seed? A faith like a mustard seed is a strong faith that will stand the test of time, that will stand the pressures of life and the opposition of the enemy. That is a mustard seed kind of faith. It's a faith that will be strong, that will, no matter how long it takes, no matter what comes against it, it will still, still produce something. Amen. And so the question is, um, how do you get that kind of faith? How do you get faith as the mustard seed? How do you get that kind of strong faith that stand the test of time and that withstand the pressures and the attacks from the outside? Amen? Go with me to Luke 18. It, that, that, that's, that's something also that Jesus confirmed. In Luke chapter 18, everybody's doing good? Yes? Luke 18. Verse 1 through 8. We've all, you know, probably read that parable of the unjust judge and the little persistent widow. Amen. And here it says, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart or not give up. Saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor do I regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Then the Lord said, hear or listen to what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect to cry out day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you, yes, he will avenge them speedily. But I tell you, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What is it that Jesus was teaching? Remember, every time he used a parable, it was to drive a point across. Amen. A parable was a make-believe story to illustrate a truth, to accentuate a truth, to drive a point across. 
What is it here that Jesus was trying to, to accentuate? What is it that he's tries, trying to teach? He said that men ought to pray and not to lose heart, not to give up. Apparently, people would start and then quit, abandon. Remember, strong faith is a faith that starts and refuses to give up, that keeps on going, that stands the test of time, even the pressures from the outside. And so here Jesus is saying, listen to what the unjust judge just said. Now here you've got a little widow that knew what belonged to her. She knew her rights. She went to the judge and she demanded what belonged to her. And he says the judge didn't fear God. So right there we know this is not God. Jesus would not, you know, talk of his father or of someone who didn't fear God or regard man. But here J Jesus said, listen to what the judge just said. He said, I will avenge her. I don't, I don't care about her, but I will avenge her lest by her con continual coming, she wearies me. But you know, most of the people, when they think of continual coming, they think about, you know, asking again and again, asking again and again, asking again. We're thinking of back and forth, back and forth, right? That's the notion where people are praying, and they are praying a thousand times for the same thing, begging God, you know, asking God, crying, trying to motivate. That's where that notion comes from. But that is not the truth that Jesus is teaching. And I looked at the word continual coming, and it's the word eis telos erkomai. And listen to what it means. To come, to be set until the end. To come, to be set until the end. In another word, here is the picture. That widow understood what belonged to her, her rights. She came to the judge, she knocked at his door, and she said, I will not acquit, I will not abandon, I will not give up until I get what belongs to me. And the, the unjust judge says, I'm going to give it to her lest she wearies me because I know she's gonna, not going to give up. Amen. And here Jesus says, well, if that unjust judge has, is going to give it to her because he knows that she's not going to quit, he said, let me tell you, your father will avenge you speedily. Nevertheless, the real question is, when the Son of Man comes on the earth, will he find faith? What kind of faith? A faith that knows what belongs to it and that refuses to give up. A faith that says, that belongs to me, and I will not quit. I will not abandon. I will not, you know, throw the towel until I get what belongs to me. And with that kind, you know, that kind of bulldog, I call bulldog mentality, that kind of bulldog attitude where I know what's mine, and I will not quit and give up because I know that is the truth, and that's mine. With that kind of attitude, the devil, who is there to try to stop you, who is there who try to hinder you, who is there to try to persuade you that God is not concerned and that thing is never going to come to pass, the devil will say, well, forget about it. I might just as well abandon because that woman is not going to give up. 
you see, and now let me say something, you see, if that's the kind of faith Jesus says, you see, the question is not whether or not God is going to give it because God has already given all thanks. But Jesus is raising a question here. He's saying, will I find a people that know that they know that they know their right, their inheritance, their privilege, and that will refuse to give up, that will refuse to throw the towel, that will be willing to stand like a bulldog camping in front of the enemy's door until it gets and, and, and gets a hold of what belongs to. That's what Jesus is saying. But isn't that interesting that Jesus is even asking the question, when the Son of Man comes on the earth, will he find that kind of faith? Will he find a bulldog faith? Will he find that strong faith that knows its rights and refuses to give up? He's looking for it. Thus, the necessity for us to talk about faith, to learn about faith, to learn to walk by faith. That shows me Jesus, the, the head of the church, is looking for it. He's looking for a people of faith. Because on his part, he's already given everything. But he knows it's up to us to have that kind of bulldog, know your right, know your privilege kind of faith to say, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what the enemy throws at me. I don't care the, 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 uh, uh, the, the struggle. I don't care the obstacle. I will not quit. I will not give up. And you, you don't quit, you don't lose. And, you know, let me say something, because, you see, here again, we have sometimes a contradiction, you see, because we, we think, well, does it mean I, don't, I cannot pray more than once? You know, and I discovered something very interesting, recent, you know, in the last few, uh, 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 you know, maybe the last year or so, because I was always... Always of the understanding that if I pray for somebody, you know, let's say for healing, and I pray more than once, then I was in unbelief. But I discovered something, is that you pray once, but it doesn't mean you cannot lay your hands on the person a second time or a third time or a fourth time. Because, but the attitude of your heart or your motivation is different. Like Jesus, you remember when Jesus prayed on the blind man twice? He didn't pray twice on him because he didn't believe he got it. No, there was a difference. He prayed on him twice because he knew healing was the will of the Father and he would not be denied. Just a, a week or two ago, I was in Orlando, and there was a man that came to me who was blind, totally blind. He was 80-some years old, and he had had a detached retina, had three surgery, totally blind, legally blind from that right eye. And he came to me. I mean, he looked at Andrew. You know how we were at the GTS. Andrew, you know how the lines of people wanting prayer was so long. The guy saw the line, and then he kind of looked around, and his wife said, Honey, look, that woman, you know, Audrey talked about, you know, she's here. Why don't you ask her? And so he came to me, and I said, sure, I'll pray for you. And I prayed for the man, and, in, and immediately, bam. You know, I tested him. Okay, he couldn't see a thing. Covered his good eye, couldn't see anything. We prayed for him. He immediately, he went one, two, five, four. Praise God, he got so excited. The next day, I see him again, and I say, how are you doing? He said, well, I kind of 
it got blurry again and I cannot see. It kind of, you see, it kind of had lost it. The tendency would be, but well, too bad. And I said, no! I said, you know, I said, healing is yours. I said, we are not going to settle for anything less. And I knew, and now I am of that determination that when I pray for somebody, even if I have to lay my hands ten times on the person, we are not going to quit and give up until we get something. Even if it's 60% better or whatever, 90%, but we'll get something. You know what I mean? Why? Not because we don't believe that the first time it worked or it didn't work, but because we know, like that widow, I know that I know that healing is the will of God. So I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. I refuse to settle for less. Well, you know, we pray for that guy. It took us four times where I laid hands on him. And the first time he couldn't see, I said, we're not going to. I said, and I told him, I said, if you are willing to, sit, to stand here as long as it takes, I'm willing to stay here with you, to stick with you. And so we did, and it took us 15 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes praying for him three or four times. At the end of the four times, he got his vision back. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, you see, you see I'm, I'm trying to picture a mentality here. And it's not unbelief, like, I wonder if it works. No, no, no. It is, I know healing is the will of God, so I'm not going to take no for an answer. Like that widow, I'm not going to give up. I am not going to quit. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's the kind of determination and faith that we've got to have, whether it's for ourselves or for others. You see, we so easily quit. We so easily, and it, only to tell you the truth, uh, 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 you know, when you pray for somebody and they don't get healed instantly, it is kind of easy to take the easy road to say, well, go your way. It's going to get better. You know what I'm saying? And we oftentimes have gone that route. But I believe we got to come to the place where we say, and I'm determined to get there. Where You know, that's why John G. Lake was so successful. Because you, you, you've heard about the healing rooms. John G. Lake in Spokane, Washington, opened some healing rooms, and they had what they called healing technicians. And those people would go, they were trained in the word and how to pray for the sick and how to, you know, help ask questions like a doctor. Not today's doctor, they never really listen to you anymore. You know what I'm saying? But really, as a believer, when you, you, you pray for people, you should listen to them and then try to help them to locate them or how you can pray for them more effectively. Amen. And so John G. Lake, he would send his trained healing technician to those places. And he says, you don't come back. You are not allowed to come back until the person is healed. And sometimes he would take one hour. Sometimes he would take one day. Sometimes he would take weeks. But they knew that they knew that they knew that they knew because healing was the will of God that they would not give up until they saw the manifestation. You know what I mean? And I think we need to get some of that. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find that kind of faith? That bulldog, determined, tenacious, will not give up, will not take no for an answer, will not settle for less kind of faith. And you notice in the Bible, all the people who received miracles were people who had that kind of tenacious. It was a small faith, but it was a tenacious faith. A faith like a mustard seed. 
no matter what obstacle. I mean, the woman with the issue of blood, what happened to her? She had one obstacle after another, but she would not quit, and she did not give up. Amen? And she got her miracle. I mean, the man who carried the, the friend on the stretcher, the same thing. They had all kind of obstacles. But you see, because they knew that Jesus was the answer, they knew that that man had the power to heal. They would not take no for an answer. And that is an attribute of great faith. It's don't take no for an answer. Don't settle for less. Don't accept anything but what God has for you. And you, you take your stand until the end, no matter how long it takes. No matter how long it takes. You see? Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So how do you obtain that kind of faith? How do you build up that kind of strong faith? Amen? Amen. 